Hi everyone. Uh, it's been a long time, but uh, we decided to get the game back together for another another uh, studio recording here. So I'm Sam Harrelson, and I'm joined by my good friend Lisa Piccarelli. Hello, Lisa. Hello, Sam. My good friend Sean Collins. Hello, Sean. Hey, Sam. And Jim Kukrell, who's also oh, I don't get the good friend. <laughs> You're making fun of my, my assistant. No, my, my good so friend. When does Amy get here? By the way. Oh, she's always around. So a little bit of backstory. Sam big times us. I think he's big timing me. He says, let's get the show. We'll do another show. I get this email from a person named Amy. And I say, did Sam just big time me with his assistant? And he says, oh, no, it's my virtual assistant. So it's not even a real person named Amy who's scheduling the podcast. And she was bugging the hell out of me. She kept because we all set it on a time. So I wasn't responding to her. And she kept coming back at me. I didn't respond to her either. <laughs> I got reports on all of that. She's very persistent. Um, but it's interesting because I, I use it all the time with client work and setting up meetings. And half, oh no, more than half the time, the the client doesn't know that it's just a bot. Um, so, you know, I get a transcript of all the, all the conversations. And it's really interesting because they ask, like, when did you start working for Sam? And, you know, where did you go to school? And I'm like, well, that's that's kind of interesting that, you know, you just jump to th- that type of a conversational frame um so is anybody hitting on her not not my amy but the uh, the people behind amy which is x.ai has um i think they have like 48 million dollars in the bank now from venture capital uh they put out a a blog post last year it was like a year with amy because it's it's soft launched at the beginning of 2015 it was really hard to get into and it still kind of is It's, it's in a beta program um but when they did the uh, the launch. They kept all the stats for the numbers of uh, flowers they received and the, the number of date proposals and all, all sorts of things. And it's 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 rather alarming. It, it really is like the movie Her, if, if you haven't seen that with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Um, but it's I don't know. It, it's insanely helpful. Or she, I guess she's insanely helpful um, because I do live by my calendar. So having the ability just to offload that onto a bot you know to, that sort of back and forth dance of, of setting up a meeting or a time for a call is it's, it's uh, amazing really nice. that you say you live by your calendar yet i never actually got an official calendar invite to this well see if you would if you would uh have a reply to amy and if you'd set the the time and said okay yeah that sounds good four o'clock works then she sends out the calendar invite to me and you and whoever else is on that call so it's your user failure lisa Oh, okay. <laughs> you got res- to respond to her. Apparently, to, to I was outsmarted by a bot. Okay. <laughs> I think that's all of our features. But, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, there's a, a new service coming out later in the fall called Vive or, or Vive, V-I-V. I think that's a .ai domain as well. And it's from the people who created Siri that was acquired by Apple. And it's kind of going to be like Amy meets Siri meets Google Now and, and really has a like a beautiful bot baby that can do all sorts of fun things. So I'm really looking forward to that. Because I, I, I love Google Now and I love, I mean, I don't really use Siri too much because I'm not really an Apple person, but I, I love, you know, that, that sort of assisted side of, of computing that we're getting to now. So you like taking jobs away from real people? I do, I do. I like freeing people up to, to read Aristophanes. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yeah, but uh, we have an Echo um, in the family room, and I use it all the time. The kids use it for homework, and um, my my now six year old daughter 
uh, and I were having a conversation about her birthday stuff. And I said, well, what do you want? And she wanted a, an echo for her, her own room. So we ended up getting her like one of the, the smaller ones, the, the dot. And uh, it's really interesting to see what she does with it. But, so what's the difference between the echo and the dot? The dot is like a, the brains of the echo, but it doesn't have the, the big speaker. So the, the sort of tower part, like most of it is the speaker and the microphones. Uh, so if you're in a small space, the dot works great. And you just have to hook, uh, hook it up to like a, you know extra set of computer speakers or something like that. Ah. Yeah. And it's all, you know, it's, I think it's 129 or something compared to whatever the Echo is. I think it's 179 maybe. So yeah. I, I'm going to ask the question that I think all of our vast listenership is wondering why now for the reunion? What what made you want to get the gang back together? Was there something on your mind? Are you feeling nostalgic? Are you what 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 brought this about? Well, I, for me personally, I mean, I won't speak for the rest of you, but I think it's interesting to see, you know, kind of ten years later. I mean, yeah, it's twenty sixteen. This is when I really started getting into affiliate marketing. Even though I yeah you know, I've been doing it before, but uh, two thousand six was kind of the year that I I really you know went headfirst into it. And just the the ten years of change that that we've seen in affiliate marketing, and then the I don't know the, the way our own careers have all kind of gone in different paths. Um, and and I don't know. I feel like it would be fun to kind of examine maybe like kind of like a what's next type thing. Like what what do the next ten years hold for online marketing or content marketing or affiliate marketing? Because they all you know they all sort of seem to be melding together at at some levels. Well, well, maybe maybe then it'd be a good idea for people to catch up on what we are doing because, like, you know, I'm not sure of everything that Jim is doing right now. I know some of the things that he tweets about and posts on Facebook, but we don't keep in as close contact as we used to. And I'm sorry for that, Jim. But so maybe could we get an update from everybody about what they are doing? Yeah, I'll start. Okay, so, um, you know, I, I I got into the whole Kindle author business and figured out that there was a lot of people who were writing books now and getting on um, Amazon and all that. So I created a, a website called AuthorMarketingClub.com, and it's a membership site where we provide tools and training for people who have written books to learn how to market and promote their books. So we create tools and we create training and it's it's not a promotion site it's tools and training and and it's basically become my business for the last 5 plus years which is great cuz it's the dream i always wanted to have which was a membership site that kind of runs on its own so i can have time for you know being with my kids and coaching and now um being a politician i did get elected to a uh city council seat in my tiny town of you know 12 12,000 people and so now, on top of being a coach of my kids' sports teams, I'm also a councilman. So uh, other than that, I am trying to live the dream of living the four-hour work week. And um, I do not stay that up on the tech stuff as Sam does, but uh, I, I try. I'm still the same Luddite I used to be regarding most of that stuff. <laughs> have you quit Twitter recently? I have Twitter. I have not quit it. And but I don't check it. Like I'll I'll open my Twitter app once a week and just look and see what's on there. I don't even bother with it. So do your kids know that you used to be a business coach before you were a sports coach? <laughs> no, they don't really don't know what I do. I mean, I tell <laughs> them what 
they know me more for you know my political stuff that I do now, which by the way is completely fascinating. I know it's 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 geeky in a way because this is the geek cast. It's geeky in a way of of how you do online marketing combined with being a politician, even at a tiny level like I am. Um, it's there's so many similar lines to marketing and online marketing and to people at this type of thing. And if I can see a whole book coming out of this down the road in the future. So that's what I'm doing. What are you guys up to? Sean? Um, nothing's really changed a whole lot for me because I'm just keeping on with Affiliate Summit and Feedfront. And we added in our regional shows, our performance marketing summits going around. We were in Toronto last week, Chicago last month. And so, um, so for the most part, I haven't really changed a whole lot from what I've been doing. So I'd, I have a disappointing update. <laughs> well, but I think you're downplaying it. I mean, okay, get, 10 years yeah. ago, how many people went to Affiliate Summit? A couple hundred, and now there's multiple thousands that go? Yeah, so right now the Vegas one's up to over 6,000, and it's around 5,500 for New York. Holy cow. Yeah, wow. I mean, so, so you've basically been busy building an empire. Yeah, I've been a growth hacker. <laughs> 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 well, and, and I thought it was interesting when I when I saw you launch the you and Mitzi launched the performing performance marketing uh, some much that you went with that name rather than you know like I don't know affiliate summit local or, or you know something of that nature uh, the, and that's something we can talk about later with the names of you know all this stuff but okay you don't want to give the backstory on that then yeah I'd love to go for it <laughs> um, so. Uh, Four years ago, we did an affiliate summit central in Austin, and so all of the marketing collateral was saying that it was going to be way smaller than the east and the west. It was going to be like 500 people, but nobody reads anything. So people showed up, and they were like, where is everybody? Where is the exhibit hall? And we're like, we explained it was going to be just like 10 or 15 sponsors and and two tracks and a way smaller thing. And everybody was all people that came there that thought it was going to just be another big show were pissed off, so we figured we just totally – Change the name because we already had performancemarketingsummit.com anyway, and we just wanted to make it so it was very clear that these were not on the same magnitude as the big shows. And so we sort of um, take a, a TEDx kind of approach to it. It's a one-day thing, a single room, and they're all 18-minute sessions from single speakers and just try to make it a unique thing. Some of the stuff is lifestyle, some of it's marketing, and just make it more of a, a fun, intimate kind of thing. And every couple times a year, you get to say to your family, don't bother me, I have PMS this week. <laughs> yeah, and every time somebody sees the hashtag for the first time, like, it's PMS16 now, like, oh my god, did you realize it has PMS in it? Like, yeah, we, that never occurred to us. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just want to, you know, Sean, I mean, I think I could speak for Lisa and Sam and just No, say, you can't. Yes, I can. <laughs> It's really amazing what you guys have built over there, and I just continue to watch it grow. And I, I'm so far removed from affiliate marketing now. I, I do. I have my own affiliate program, but I don't do much affiliate marketing. And you guys have totally dominated that space for ten years or plus. And congratulations! Thank you. Yeah, it's been very exciting to to see where it's gone. And and I people ask me what I want to do next, and I it's been a fun thing so far. So I really don't have plans for the next thing. Well, I think, you know, I, I, as impressive as the growth is and Jim talking about you dominating this space, I think the thing that I'm always most impressed with is that you guys always try something new and you're always on top of like, 
the latest tech things or whatever's hot or using a particular app or incorporating, you know, audience participation through some different way. And so I always like that you're looking to keep it fresh. And for me, that's a really great part of it. Oh, thank yeah. you very much. Although you, you never got on the uh, Ecom Expo. Was that the name of the, the virtual? Oh, God, I, I, oh. That, I hated that. <laughs> that's not going to a show. That's just... Oh, I can't. And, and you had to get to the booths and get all the, the, the swag or whatever. Remember that? Oh, that was I the don't worst. Know. Please don't do that. <laughs> I, know, I, I always thought that was a horrible experience. And I, I was um, a few months ago, I was in San Diego at the Social Media Marketing Summit. And I had, a few different people were like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be launching this virtual conference. I'm like, oh, that's the worst idea. It's, I, whenever I did that, I would, I would dial out and not pay attention two seconds in every session because I had my email in front of me and a different screen and <laughs> – Exactly. And now, even more so with all the social media applications, it's like I wouldn't even pay attention. I would just be looking at Facebook or whatever. I, I hate those things. Well, yeah. I know we're getting kind of off topic, but you know, I've seen some very successful kind of events happen on Facebook groups. And they've, I mean, they kind of do get people engaged. People come in, you have people come in and present and now you can do Facebook live with that. I think you could actually do that type of thing on a Facebook group and do it really well and make it like a day event and it can be very powerful. It won't be for me though. <laughs> I think if, if it's, you know, the right size and, and you've got really engaging content and all that stuff, then, you know, you've got the possibility, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, it's hard I to have some, that gap. I have some groups that I'm in that I'm very invested in on Facebook. And if they were to do something, I'd be interested. But just sort of this mass appeal um, just didn't really work. Yeah. Well, group, yeah. groups, are, I mean, in my opinion, I know we're going to get at this eventually, and we need to hear from Sam and Lisa, but Facebook groups are where it's at for me. Facebook groups are the number one place in terms of social media that I am getting the most engagement and bang for my buck regarding political stuff or books or whatever. That's really interesting. Let, let's circle back around to that. But uh, Lisa, what have you been up to? Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm still doing uh, content, consulting around content. And, you know, I still write a lot and, um, you know, follow the industry and trends. And I, I feel like not that much has changed because I have, some of the same clients that I've had for six years as a consultant. So I enjoy them very much. And, you know, I'm always looking for some kind of fun new project, but that, yeah, really the same thing, just focusing on content and how people can monetize it. And that's, that's me. And you're lucky enough to be right in the heart of, you know, all of the, the tech revolution and all of that stuff there in, in, in the Bay area. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm kind of jealous that that you can just walk down the street and it's like, oh, there's there's Twitter headquarters, you know, rather than <laughs> being stuck here in wonderful Columbia, South Carolina. It was funny. Someone I um, am in a mastermind group with, she's in Chicago and was at, uh, speaking at an event in Vancouver and she was won some hoodie from a company that does an app and she posted a picture of herself wearing it and there's five people in our mastermind group and I responded and said oh those people are their headquarters is a block from my house I see them every day when I walk my dog they're all wearing their sweatshirts and out trying to get lunch 
<laughs> you know, and, it's, yeah, yeah. It's funny, but that's you know the the developers, the modern celebrity, you know, among lots of people these days. Or um, well, you may think it's great, but you know, a, a lot. I would think that being in the tech world here, like, is is very difficult because people are. We can get into this later, but people specifically in this area, in San Francisco and the Bay Area are very reviled for how they are changing the community here right, and right. not for the better um, yeah. in the in the opinion of a lot of people. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that I'd be wearing my double Dutch or Twitter sweatshirt all that proudly because, you know, you might get beaten up on the corner. <laughs> don't ride the Google bus. Yeah, well, yeah, I see that every day. But so, Sam, tell us what you're up to. Uh, yeah, so a couple of things. Uh, Harrelson Agency is kind of the, the big time uh, place for me right now. And it's uh, basically everything I was kind of doing before, with, kind of like with you, Lisa, with the consulting and some of the client work. And then decided to kind of step it up to the next level because I had a, a number of clients who were wanting to get into areas that traditionally I hadn't covered, like offline marketing you know, and billboards and <laughs> TV and that kind of stuff. So created this back in, I guess, 2012. And, you know, we we're kind of a full service marketing agency now. So we do everything from website builds to social media stuff to SEO to billboards. Um, and it's fun because we, we get a, such a wide variety of, of clients. And I primarily work with nonprofits and community groups and religious groups. Um, and then, you know, have a kind of the corporate clients that subsidize a lot of that work. But it, you know, kind of allows me to take what I did in the classroom and, and with some of my, you know, religious background stuff and kind of mold that into something that I enjoy doing on a daily basis. Cause as you all know, I get so bored with things, you know, too quickly and, and I'll move on and, you know, leave something unfinished. So this uh, kind of gives me an outlet to, uh, to keep pursuing different, different challenges. Um, and also do thinking.fm, which is our podcast network and it's going really well. It's actually growing, um, at a time when indie podcasts are, are sort of, Having you know, I guess having a rough time uh, to to compete with things like Serial and all the NPR podcasts, um, but we we focus on you know sort of uh, kind of deeper topics. So it's it's more, uh, what's that term that we use in the marketing world that I can't think of? Uh, it's more evergreen material, yeah, so, right? So that's fun. And then we have Harrelson Press, which my my wife runs, and kind of along the lines of what, of what Jim is doing. Um, it's more of a, a kind of a traditional press so we we print books and she does all the copy editing stuff and, and works with authors and she's actually at a author conference up in north carolina today selling books so uh so it's been fun it's it's been really interesting to see how things kind of morph and change and, and grow off of one another well but, what are we going to talk about guys we're going to talk about affiliates well, that face well i mean yeah let's talk about sort of how i mean i, I think this is one big conversation but how affiliate marketing went from being something that was, uh, you know, kind of this idea of you go to, to Commission Junction and you get a, a snippet of code and you go back to your WordPress site and you, you plug it into the content. Um, and, I'm, I mean, I don't personally do that anymore, but I'm sure that's definitely something that uh, goes on still. But to me, it seems like that wider concept of performance marketing gets reflected in things like those Facebook groups or social media or, you know, Snapchat discovery, uh, discover things or in all that stuff is, is sort of opening the doors to, to what was once kind of a, a 
not stale, but one's kind of a set in stone way to, to do affiliate marketing. Well, I'd be interested to hear from Sean because I'm so removed from affiliate marketing. What What's the playing field now, Sean? Is it still the big CPA networks driving everything? Um, or, you know, is what, it still, I mean, there's still sites out there like Kim's site that, you know, shopping bookmarks that still make money. Who's who's the big player now? I, let, let me hop in real, real quick. I, I was doing a, a Google search last night for something to do with, oh, with a firm, which is like a, a payment processing type thing. And Kim's site, actually, one, one of her sites actually uh, popped up first. And I was like, oh, that's cool. So anyway, it still works. Yeah, so there's um, still the plenty of people are doing the CPA stuff that's, that area is the number of networks has winnowed down a little bit, but the there are some of the companies that are the the big public companies now, like a Retail Me Not, that controls a lot of the coupon space, and they've got instead of in the past where like sort of the caricature of an affiliate being like in the in the dark basement, they've got a a full floor, maybe two floors, in a building in downtown Austin with I think probably 150 200 employees, and so they might qualify, I guess, as a super affiliate. Wow. And, and um, but then also the there's been a big movement of a lot of bloggers who used to be doing the the paid posts for different brands. A lot of them have been shifting over, and we've done a big recruitment effort and brought tons of bloggers to affiliate something. Also, um, Brian Littleton's brought a lot to Share Sell Think Tank and just into the network in general. So that's been uh, so still content marketing is still a, a strong area. So do super affiliates like Zach Johnson still exist? Are they getting bigger or are they getting fewer? Um, I guess the, there are a lot of old-timers that are still around, so you still have like Zach Chow. Johnson, John Chow, and those guys are still going strong. But I, I don't really see many new names break in, at least that are doing like the blogging about it and how to do stuff. Yeah, that was an interesting I, phenomenon there for a while. Well, I think I think that, you know, folks like you're right, folks like Zach Johnson are still around. But I mean, if you look at the particularly the coupon space, um, a lot of the people that we talked about 10 years ago, you know, Connie Berg and uh, Mike Allen and all Kim Rowley and, you know, Ann Fognano, those folks are all still have their hand in something but are doing other things as well because retail me not is around. So I think the coupon space has changed dramatically and Sean's totally right. Like now with the bloggers and then there's this big thing where people are kind of recasting it now. It's like influencer marketing because of all the ad blocking that's going on with Google the way to get the word out for brands is through influencers and bloggers. Well, that's not a new concept. We've been well, doing that's that for not 15 new. years. Well, we have, but I think now, like at first it was content marketing. At first it was bloggers, and we were all talking at, speaking at blog world and blogging conferences. And then it was content. Everything was about content, and now it's called influencer marketing. So I think it's kind of the same thing that we've all been doing, but kind of recasting it, it itself a little bit. Well, and, and for us, I mean, a lot of times it's not just the blogging aspect. It's it's like uh, you know the influencers influencers on Instagram or Snapchat that we're trying to go after as a marketing agency to to get them to wrap a product or you know whatever, and it's. 
it's like you said, Jim. It's interesting to see that same kind of concept that that we did back in the day with you know, our blogs or you know the, the popular but, blogs that w- could make money by throwing up a, a banner ad. Uh, isn't kind of that transfer isn't over. that what Ted's company Isaiah is doing? I mean, they're kicking butt. Is he still doing? The, it's kind of the influencer. Thing. I'm not really sure. I haven't looked at it in so long, but I I know yeah. that was part of their business model back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I went to Isaiah Fest this past I guess September October. And it was the first one they'd had in years, and I, um, I guess they have a handful of different products. There's nothing that they're doing that I'm using, but they, um, one thing that was really annoying there was that they had like a, they'd have panels of people, and they have like some twenty-year-old hotshot that's the big guy on Vine, and he was sitting there talking about his craft, and I was like, you're, <laughs> you're making videos of yourself tripping over tires. That's not a craft. <laughs> but yeah. don't you think it's kind of funny, Sean, that in a way. Um, Ted Murphy was a little bit ahead of the times because, and, and kind of, I, I'm just going to say it, like people did sort of poke fun at it a little back then, or even, you know, poo poo, like, well, nobody's going to want to get paid for this, or it's not going to seem like it's real if you get paid per post. And then do you remember that he was the person who gave out selfie sticks like 10 years ago? Oh, yeah, yeah. I certainly made fun of it, yeah. And I, you know, I and, and now and now I still have mine too. I never used it, but but now it's all like that was I mean, the things he was talking about and people were kinda like, ah, I don't know, I don't know. It's sort of a good idea, but maybe not, but maybe it doesn't seem authentic. I, it, and now that's exactly what people are doing. Yeah, and it is yeah. funny because he was doing paper posts and a lot of people did Totally hey at the time, then all of a sudden, all these big brands discovered it years later, and it became a mainstream, wonderful thing for bloggers. But then I guess that started drying up, and now there's been such a big shift of them over to affiliate marketing that I'm I'm loving seeing it. And so we at first we were really pursuing the the f- female bloggers. I guess mommy blogger is a pejorative term now. Um, and now we're shifting into other areas. I'm going, I think, next month to. Um, there's a, a show in D.C. called Blogging While Brown. It's, in, it's all African-American bloggers. Huh. So I'm going to go there just to sort of get the Affiliate Summit name out and try to move some people over and figure I'll start hitting other niche shows like that, some like focused on sports and different things. And and don't, I'm sorry, Lisa, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Sean, don't you find that there are a lot of people that are actually um, blogging and, you know, whether and also on Pinterest or Instagram or, you know, Vine or YouTube, whatever, that are monetizing. But and they don't they sort of don't know their affiliates. Yeah, I think there's a lot of those people. And also there's a lot of people that are creating content and getting popular and they can't figure out how to monetize and they're unaware of affiliate marketing. I, for me, the the one thing that's always held affiliate marketing back. I mean, like we just got a pretty sizable check to, yeah, like you were saying, Sean, like a twenty twenty one year old or something for an Instagram campaign that we did with a client. And uh, you know, I was thinking this is really fascinating that it it is quasi affiliate marketing in a way or paid proposed type stuff. But for me, the one thing that's always held back that sort of traditional notion of affiliate marketing that that we all had ten years ago is. That concept of having to have a link with a cookie and all that stuff attached to it, like the technology behind it. Um, and as we transition now into things like Snapchat and, and Instagram, where you can't put a link in a post or, you know, in a, in a uh, caption or anything like that, you know, 
has affiliate marketing caught up at, at all with that? I know like Todd Crawford and Lisa Riola were working on that with Impact Radius, but just that idea of kind of pushing the technology and the attribution type stuff ahead. Um, well, I guess the, there's not really any way around not having the unique link. And um, some people are doing like the influencer stuff on Instagram. The Some of the funny stories that I really enjoyed in the last few weeks are when I think I'm the guy, Scott Disick, that used to be on the Kardashian show. He posted the, a picture of him with like some kind of fake diet stuff or something. And he the text in there, he, he included the instructions from – his PR handler about like how to post it, what to say. <laughs> he's, he's such a gigantic idiot that he didn't edit that part out. And I think some Oops. model did the same thing like a week or so ago. Do you, do you think Sean, that the rules though also governing sort of what people can say and what people can promote and what constitutes an endorsement and what kind of disclosures you have to make about whether you're being paid or whether you know, you got a free sampler. Is that holding anything back? Um, you know, I guess the there are a lot of people on, like the Instagram type celebrities and on Twitter and stuff that aren't like a lot of affiliate marketers are moving towards having disclosure. They have been doing that for a while, and a lot of other people are supposed to be doing it, but they're not bothering to with the FTC rules and things. I always thought the disclosure stuff was crap. I mean, come on, there. You used to disclose that you have an affiliate link in there. I just thought that was crap. Yeah, especially um, like on Twitter, like you're supposed to put like like AF or something or like hashtag affiliate. Yeah, I remember Ted had uh, disclosurepolicy.org. You know, yeah. it made, built you a disclosure policy you could put on your site. But come on, have you guys ever heard of anyone getting busted for not disclosing? Like a regular person, like maybe some big giant, you know, CPA networker or something like that. But regular people, no. Yeah, I can't see the FTC going after a nickel and dime person and giving them a hassle. Well, I think for me, what's the fascinating thing about this whole influencer marketing thing is now my have my kids are fourteen and eleven, and I just kind of watch what they do. I mean, my daughter is infatuated with all these YouTube stars, you know, Dan and Phil, right? These two guys from Canada. So is Todd's kids. Yeah, Todd absolutely. Todd's kids, yes. The same thing, the Dan and Phil. So Dan and Phil came to Cleveland, sold out a show in a 20,000-room uh, arena. You know, they have books. They have Instagram. They have Snapchat. They have YouTube videos. And, you know, by all estimations, these guys are making about a million bucks a year. And I haven't seen one affiliate link coming from them but they're getting paid to talk about other stuff you know and and silly stuff and these guys have created this giant celebrity just from youtube videos and from instagram and stuff like that and it's fascinating to watch on my son's side he's so into sports he watches all the dude perfect stuff and all the the sports guys who do the shots and all that stuff and I, i see no affiliate links from those guys i do see them promoting a product here and then but these guys make a lot of money from this stuff, and it's fascinating how kids well, are influenced by these people. Uh, okay, you're saying these people make a lot of money. Sam, I'm going to ask you, you do, you're an agency, and when you're looking for influencer stuff, do you also run into the people that think they're stars and want to charge outrageous amounts but don't have the following, but they may say – 
they, I, I think there's this culture where people say, well, all these other fashion bloggers or somebody that's doing YouTube how to YouTube videos is getting, you know, these $50,000 endorsements. So I want this much. And I see these people that are asking outrageous uh, for outrageous compensation to mention a product or do a review of it. And they have no business asking for that. Right. And, and those are the people that, and, you know, I, I found typically don't deliver much of anything in terms of value back to the client. But, um, yeah, that, that certainly exists. It, it reminds me of when I first started in online marketing, like in 2002, 2003. Um, I started with email marketing, and there was a big uh, email marketing firm here in Columbia. And this was in the Wild West days before can spam. So, you know, all sorts of fun things were going on, but um, we had a few clients or a few buyers that were doing CPM buys, and we loved those folks because we could say, oh, yeah, you know, we're going we're gonna to ask for a $10 CPM because this is a, quote, shopping list, and, you know, we'll send out to that list and, you know, hit it five times and blah, blah, blah. Um, it, it, it has that same kind of concept to it when, when you approach people who are, you know, either doing Instagram or, or YouTube type stuff. Uh, because they see the 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 was it a, a mom or, or someone who was doing the the Disney unwrapping boxes a couple of years ago, and she was making like five million dollars, you know, a year just on the <laughs> basically on the ads and and some of the endorsements. Um, and you know, everyone has that dream of being able to sell, uh, you know, Mary Kay products, or they they hear the stories of how you know you can sell this Advocare stuff and and you know uh, climb your way up the the pyramid. Um, so yeah, I mean that that definitely happens, and uh, you, you have to spend a lot of time kind of weeding through. And yet, there's no the analytics around this stuff is still so in play, you know. And, and we've got a lot of, I guess, homebrew type stuff that we've created, but you know, you can't just rely on something like Google Analytics or you know any of any of the uh, the fancy new social media analytics things that aren't going to tell you, okay, if I you know give this CPM to this YouTube video person, am I going to get, you know, the, the $10,000 in sales that we want to get over two years? Um, and it, it's such an evolving marketplace. So you have to be savvy, I guess, is, is kind of well, important. It's a sucky, sucky thing there because, I mean, going back to affiliate marketing, I mean, having that cookie link is the surefire way of knowing if you're getting the results. And we're back, you know, full circle to let's give some YouTube star a big payment and hope that they generate enough engagement that it moves the needle on our product. And yeah. without that affiliate link, you don't really know. It's back to buying a print ad. It yeah. really is. It's, and it's, it's funny because, um, you know, I think that's why a lot of people start affiliate or they get into affiliate marketing and then they, you know, kind of play around with it and they do some SEO and they do some PPC and they read what Zach or, or John Chow or whoever says, you know, and tells them what to do on a shoe money form. And then they get kind of frustrated because they spend 100 or 50 bucks after the first month. Then they get, you know, 30 cents on an Amazon sale, and then they just kind of leave it because it's hard. You know, I, I mean, I always argue that affiliate marketing in concept is great because it democratizes that that notion of advertising. But um, you know, it's got a, a barrier barrier trend to entry there. You know, you can't just put up a, a six second Vine video and say, "Hey, I'm a I'm a Vine star. And I'm going to charge this much money." And expect to be successful, but it feels like you can do that much easier than than what affiliate marketing sort of uh, opens the door for. 
So, well, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up a topic because this is interesting and it's kind of in my space right now. So in the Kindle business, Amazon uh, kind of grew their books because their ebook business because they had tons of sites over the last six years who created, hey, we're gonna ha- uh, send you an email with free ebooks, and those business model of those sites was uh, we're gonna send out the ebooks with using our affiliate link. So in the last couple of weeks, just now. Uh, Amazon has started to enforce their terms of service, which says you are not allowed to send out an email using our affiliate links. So they're shutting down sites like Pixel of Inc. and eReader News Today. These are sites that are big in my space, which had you know hundreds of thousands of subscribers. And they've completely lost their business model overnight because they're not going to make any money as Amazon affiliates anymore. So I guess the question to you guys is, why is Amazon enforcing this now? And what's the point of shutting these people down and not letting them send emails? I guess maybe it's something to do with can't spam and being related to somehow on the hook if somebody's spamming and they have Amazon in there. But they allowed it for so long. And But these are legitimate sites, Sean. Like Pixel of Inc. has been around since 2005. But doesn't it, this just tell you the same old thing that we talked about in affiliate marketing when it came to Google or whatever, that if your income is reliant on one other third party that you don't control what the terms are, you're screwed. Yep. Amen. I get it. I, I get it. I just don't understand why Amazon's choosing now to tell a site that's been making revenue from them for six years that all of a sudden they can't but, do it any longer. But see, it doesn't matter. It, and the thing is that you don't have to know because there could be some behind the scenes thing where Amazon is going to come out with their own version of whatever these people are doing so that they can own the list and supply. I mean, it, it, they control it. And so. So why I, have an affiliate program at all? Then what's the point? If people can't email, why have an affiliate program at all? Well, they just want to have them doing it on the Web. Yeah. Or, or social media, they encourage social media. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it just it, we. I mean, I think we can all still say this is a fact that email is the driving force between affiliate marketing, except for the coupon sites, which rely on the Google traffic. Email still pays my mortgage. Yeah, I mean, it's it's right. So why would Amazon shut? I mean, I guess they have their own reasons. I just I just thought it was an interesting topic. We've seen this happen many times before, and Lisa's right. You can't be dependent on affiliate uh, traffic just you know for for everything and you got to diversify and that was their mistake i get it. it's their fault but you know we've seen this happen in other affiliate programs before and they said well we'll just shut everything down we're not going to allow you to do this anymore and i i just thought it was kind of interesting and people in my space are freaking out about it because their businesses are shutting down well yeah. do you know if any of them have just tried to make some landing pages just so they can point to that and then no they haven't the, the people who run these sites you know they were warned years ago they just they're not uh, internet marketers they're they're authors and publishers and people who like books and they just didn't heed the warning signs and they, they're not even interested in selling their lists or selling their sites they just they're just shutting them down i'm like so i guess they just got free money for a bunch of years and they're just like oh well <laughs> well it, it reminds me it's with amazon uh, kind of doing this and it, they i mean you guys know and our and our group knows it, it's been going on for a while but um just recently, uh, one of Mariana's um, friends, you know, and she runs the the press part of our company. Uh, she, her friend, had a 
author client whose entire Kindle account got shut down. And uh, she had enrolled in the Kindle Unlimited program. You know, you pay like eight bucks a month and you get unlimited books that are, particip- are participating in that program. And, you know, I subscribe because I think it's it's kind of interesting. But the author gets paid on the amount of pages that get read. So if you only read, you know, a third of a book, then the author only gets paid, you know, a, a per page. You know, so you don't get the whole amount if you're the author if your reader doesn't finish, which you know, kind of, kind of stinks, but at least you've got some traction there to know how much people are reading, I guess. Um, but a, a lot of, uh, sort of bot farms started popping up and they would, uh, an author would write a 300,000 page book and then, you know, the bot would read the entire thing and the author would get compensated for that. So Amazon completely shut that down. <clears throat> but then there were other companies out here who were, um, kind of, doing similar things, you know, and, and you would pay 15 bucks a month to this company and they would read, quote unquote, you know, so many of your books. And evidently that author uh, was participating in that and her entire uh, Amazon account got shut down with, you know, no uh, warning and no recourse or anything because it was a, a terms of service violation. And, you know, so uh, they were asking us like, well, should we pursue legal action or what, you know, how do we get around this? And, you know, it's kind of what Lisa said. You know, you read the terms of service, and if you go do that, then there might be some bad re- uh, repercussions that, that come from it. Well, I do a show called Sell More Books Show every week. We've done 116 episodes, and we talked about this. And the similarities to Google Backlinks and this are very similar. And remember, back in the you know back in the day, people were going out and buying black market backlinks. Uh, I know Kim actually had a problem with this. You know, you bought backlinks from the wrong person, and all of a sudden your search engine traffic got hit overnight. This is, you know, a long time ago. And this is exactly what's happening in the Kindle space. The the space is ripe with uh, scammers right now, and people are doing exactly what Sam said. So, you know, you're going out there, and you're, hey, I can spend 20 bucks a month to hopefully scam the, the Kindle system. And Amazon is learning from Google's mistakes, and they are just banning these people and, and um, they're they're suing people who have companies that leave fake reviews on products. So Amazon is really proactive. the The problem with it is is sometimes good authors are getting hurt in the process because you know they haven't done anything wrong, and their algorithms on Amazon now are are hurting them. So it's a really interesting space over in the Kindle world right now. Yeah, I think a concern there would be that what if somebody that was your competitor went and bought a bunch of shady gigs on Fiverr just to try to tank your book. That's what I said years ago with the Google backlinks, right? You yeah, can do the same is. thing. So you could do the same thing with books now. And so the big discussion in the Kindle world uh, is: do you go all in with Amazon or you diversify, right? So, you know, some authors go in. If you go into Kindle Select, you have to be exclusive to Amazon. They give you better terms and a bunch of stuff if you do that. But then you get in a situation like this where something happens you lose your entire catalog all of a sudden and you're not in iBooks and you're not in Kobo and you're not in all these other places. So there's two camps, right? The people who diversify and the people who just stick with Amazon. And and it's real interesting, uh, the Kindle world, because people are making a lot of money right now, a lot of money. Some of them scammers and some of them legit. Uh, but people, it's, it's very interesting, it, like the beginning days of um, Google, uh, with affiliates, because I'm seeing the very similar similarities to that process. But so, um, like for what you've seen in books, is there much going on outside of Kindle, or is that like the Google of of books? 
It's the Google of books, yeah. I mean, you basically, they're the 800-pound gorilla, and they control pretty much everything. Um, authors with large amount of backlists of books uh, are smart, and they're diversifying, and they're starting to build up of followings on iBooks and Kobo and places like that. But still, it's, you know, even even the books they have in Amazon are doing 80% or more of their sales. So, um, you know, you can't cut them out completely because they're just too big of a driving force. Yeah. Which is I, so interesting uh, because, you know, uh, 10 years ago we were designing websites based around e-commerce and based around affiliate marketing best practices or, or worst practices. We were, you know, doing content-heavy stuff based around SEO and PPC. And now that's kind of gone into, you know, the, the book writing industry and people are writing books based around, you know, performance in the Kindle store or in Kindle Unlimited. Uh, I just think that's really fascinating because you wouldn't think of, of something like, you know, writing a book being kind of shaped around direct marketing or, you know, direct uh, sort of market influences. And the people making money in Kindle right now are not nonfiction authors. You know, I mean, some people can do very well, but the the people making money are the one writing romance and science fiction and fantasy and horror and young adult and things like that. And the people who can crank out those books in mass and they're doing, you know, they're learning from the past online marketing stuff like putting building email lists and doing that. They're doing very well. They can do very well. But it is a ton of work. It's just it's very similar to what content marketing and building websites was back in the early days, you know, even before Google when yeah. we were all doing this. You know, it's very similar. And if you can create good books that entertain people, you can do really, really well. Well on that topic, we were we were talking about Facebook groups and Facebook pages and that kind of thing and, and response rate compared to something like Twitter. Um, and Jim, you said that Facebook groups really are kind of the the main driving force of engagement for a lot of what you're doing yeah um, it, i mean the, expand on that if you don't mind well yeah i mean the groups are uh, pages are okay the the thing the biggest problem with groups is you can't advertise groups so pages you can so let's just take it from my political campaign experience here i've used facebook and i'm currently using facebook to build my uh, brand as the local politician you know so I, my ward the people just in the part of my city is only like 2000 or 2500 homes so when i look at it from a online marketing branding perspective i'm like if i can get 50% of those people into an email list or in my facebook group I'm not going to have to campaign next year because all I'm going to have to do is send an email or talk about myself and remind them to vote in these groups. So I'm treating this the same way I did an online marketing selling a product, except I'm the product. And the group that I put together for these people in the in the in my ward, people come in and we have discussions about you know trash cans and deer and stupid city stuff happening, and the engagement is through the roof hundreds and hundreds of comments on a post when i ask about something going on in the city and there's only like 200 people in the group it is mind-blowing and on the other side for my author business the same thing private groups where we talk about editing and we talk about writing and book publishing the groups are just so amazingly powerful so for can i can i ask you do you also uh because what you're describing for your group is basically the experience I have on the app next door. Like, yeah. And I'm wondering, do you take any of your marketing stuff and say, like, I need to be proactive on apps like next door or whatever similar things there might be to sort of market yourself? 
Yeah, Nextdoor is great because it brings people in based upon address, so I can target all those people within my my city. And what I do is I go on Nextdoor and I drive them into my Facebook group. <laughs> you know, in classic internet marketing style, I go there and I'm, <laughs> I'm like, welcome everybody, maybe you'd like to be in my Facebook group. And I send them <laughs> there. And then on my Facebook group, I send them into my email list. And, you know, I'll, I'm going to go door to door this summer and I'm driving people onto my email list. I have a flyer already designed that I'm going to go and put on every mailbox this summer that basically is a call to action that says, hey, you should be on my email list. So I'm treating this whole political thing just like I would treat trying to push an affiliate link or a, a business. And I know if I can get these people on my email list or in my Facebook group, there's no one that is going to be able to defeat me. No one. They're not going to be able to because I'll own, I'll own every customer. It's not like Donald Trump with, uh, with uh, Twitter. But No, but really think about it. That's what the yeah, big politicians right. are doing right now. Totally. You know, but, but at this local level, the, the good reason about it being so small is that I can literally, once I have these people, these customers, I can dominate my competition. And that's the way I'm looking at it. So why do you prefer the, the group over the page? Well, the groups are great because, first of all, I can let people in that I want and I can ban them if I have to, if someone's causing trouble. And it's just the, the conversations, the engagement is there. So when I post something in my group, everyone sees it when i post something on my facebook page we get the whole back to the you know facebook organic reach thing where hardly anyone sees it the great thing about the pages though that i still want to build up is because when campaign time comes i can run ads to people in my zip code and not just my zip code i can run people to ads ads to people just in my city and take out the mile radius so i can run an ad to everyone in my city for pennies on the dollar, which I did during my campaign, and reach pretty much every single person on Facebook that lives in my city, which is just unbelievable. Uh, do you worry at all about, you know, uh, Facebook is famous for changing things, you know, without much <laughs> concern um, for, for teasers. Do you, do you worry at all about, you know, investing that much in pages and then all of a sudden, you know, some tweak happens where, you know, part of its usefulness goes away? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a worry, which is why I'm driving everyone to the email email list, list right? Right. Sure. So I control that. I mean, at the end of the day, we all know the rule. You know, get everybody into your own stuff. So um, the problem is, in my city, a lot of people in my city are are very much older. I think forty percent of my city is sixty five and up. Oh, well, <laughs> so these are people don't use Facebook, right? They don't use email. So I have a definite challenge there, but. If if you look at the numbers, just strategically, if you're taking this from an analytical standpoint, if I can get 30% of the people who live in my ward on a Facebook group or on my email list, think about the power of being able to send an email to all those people uh, an, the day before the election reminding them to vote for me. As opposed it's really to fascinating that, that email still is... Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So can I ask you guys a question? Do you ever think that or it's going to I'm sorry it's not fully formulated in my head but do you ever think that all of this stuff around marketing and everything is going to get to the point where it's not going to be as easy to and I I, I don't mean to use the word manipulate people through marketing but I, I can't come up with another word I mean think just think about back in the day like 
we all used to go to the movies. None of us ever used to know how much a movie made every, you know, when it came out, on the day it came out, how much it made internationally, you know, what the DVD sales were. We also used to go to baseball games and not know how much people got paid. And now we know when people get drafted, how much their contracts for, what it's like, kind of the inside baseball in, you know, it seems like, Every industry comes to a point where it get be the secrets of it and the business of it becomes commonplace. And then I wonder if it's as effective. And do you think that will happen with marketing? I think we're, we're rapidly, you know, in the next decade or so, we'll get to the point where people like us won't be building websites. That'll be something that's you know automated, and you know there's already a couple of apps that are in development now where you, you throw in the content, you throw in the pictures, and you know kind of takes those that that material and, and spits out a website for you. And you know, I fully anticipate that happening, and and we're trying to pivot and you know make sure that we're going to survive that because that's going to be a, a big apocalypse for a lot of agency uh, online agencies. But yeah, I think being able to pull back the curtains and see for, you know, for people to see things like, like Twitter engagement or, or how many, uh, you know, people clicked on a, on a, on a photo in their Instagram feed, those things take what was once kind of hidden knowledge that people paid a lot of money for and spread it around. I mean, the Facebook ads, you know, anyone can run a Facebook ad and that's weird, <laughs> you know, to, to think that you could put five bucks into a post and all of a sudden, boom, your church is, you know, at the top of this many people's feeds. Well, that- think I was thinking about how this past Christmas, there were experts talking about, like, how to get a good deal on Christmas things. And they were they were saying on television, like, OK, you go to a website, you click on something, you put it in your cart and then you simply close the window and walk away and wait for the company to send you a retargeting email saying like, we noticed that you abandoned, you know, or that you were interested in this and here's a coupon for 10% off. So they were like encouraging people to do cart abandonment when typically only, you know, you, me, and, uh, you know, however many hundreds of other people would know that this is what happens behind the curtain and emails triggered, you know, it gets sent out to like, now people know that stuff. Everybody. My, my opinion is this, and, and this is based upon, I learned so much when I went, when I campaigned last year, I literally went door to door to every single house in my, in my city ward twice. And I spoke to thousands of people and you get a real good take on how people handle this type of stuff when you talk to them face to face. So that's why I'm bringing this up because I think I have a real good perspective on this talking to people face to face. When you stop doing it online, you do it face to face. The bottom line is I still think people have no clue about any of this stuff and don't really care about the marketing. People have their own problems and what they want. They want to be informed or entertained and they will click on anything and share anything as long as it helps them get a solution to their problem or entertains them. And I don't think people see marketing. I actually think it's becoming easier, Lisa, to do the marketing because 
people are just becoming more and more ignorant to all the new technology stuff and they just everything moves so fast paced they're just like whatever you know if this entertained me or this informed me i'm happy and that's the bottom line and if you wanted to sum up marketing in the future for me for how i market myself and my businesses now is how do i save people time and or how do i entertain them and you could save people time and give them information you know what then i'm gonna say that you haven't changed in 10 years because you were saying that then you were saying there's only two reasons that people go online and you've been saying that ever since i've known you and 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 when you talk to people in person that's the same thing when i go to door to door they go how are you gonna help me and exactly what are you gonna do and 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 to add on top of that the transparency issue so i think that being more transparent now than ever is the most important thing. I mean, just look at where YouTube's gotten us and where everything's gotten us. But being transparent with people and the ability to use social media to be transparent with people and show them who you are uh, in a Facebook group or in a YouTube video or whatever is just unbelievably powerful. But there's, I've seen instances where companies kind of take that to a limit that they shouldn't, you know, and they, they try to be you know, funny or, or engaging to a certain demographic or whatever, and then you end up making you know a serious mistake because well, that's a, you, because companies can't do it, right? Right, right. That's what I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it, you know, it, but you know, if you're listening and you're an affiliate marketer and you're thinking, well, you know, I need to be transparent on Facebook or Twitter, like, yeah, but you know, keep in mind, you know, the the, the difference, the perceived difference between people and and you know maybe like a you know some kind of product thing that you're pushing or whatever. Although, well, let's, let's move on to a different topic because we covered that enough. What else is going on in the world of tech these days that I don't know about, Sam? Well, I mean, you know, the, the current hot stuff is all the augmented reality and, and virtual reality stuff that's coming. And um, I, I think, you know, we're finally at that point where our dreams from the 80s of virtual reality are going to start, you know, actually being uh, fulfilled in some ways. So you look at things like Magic Leap uh, down in Florida, or um, you know what what Google's doing with cardboard, and, and you know HTC has their initiative, and Samsung has a lot of cool stuff going on, and uh, you know it, it, it looks like it's going to be a, a very interesting next decade here in, in terms of how people engage with with content or just computers in general. And I think things like the Echo or Google Home that's coming this fall, those things are kind of precursors to to what's going to happen. So. so-, so- so you know me, I'm a, I'm a Luddite on these, this tech stuff. But, you know, in the book business right now, everyone's talking about, oh, there's going to be virtual reality books and games that are tied in with books and all this stuff. And I'm like, it's just not going to happen anytime soon. The technology just isn't there yet to do it en masse. And you, until you have uh, the AOL disc in everyone's hand, which is the great analogy, or you have a Kindle device in everyone's hand or, or something that everybody has – or, or or everyone has a smartphone, you can't push these types of things until everybody has it, and it can't become big until that happens. Wouldn't you agree? I would. I would. And, and that's why I think, um, you know, being able to build on top of a mobile platform is, is going to be the kind of the, the entry barrier here. So, you know, Samsung has their thing. HTC has their thing. Google is pushing, you know, its, it's cardboard initiative. Um, Apple, interestingly enough, isn't touching this stuff. Uh, so I think... You know the the ability for people just to install an app and then you know have this other device that they interact with 
using their their mobile phone as kind of the, the background computer is going to enable that that adoption. Uh, that's going to be small at first, but it, I, I do think it's going to grow as people see the utility uh, and the you, entertainment. Don't you also think, though, that, I mean, Jim just, you know, told us all about his political campaign and said that, a, you know, a large group of people aren't even on Facebook. And, um, you know, I, I think that it's great. And I live in an area where everybody's talking about virtual reality and augmented reality and what we're going to be able to do. I mean, come on, let's admit it. We couldn't even get the audio right on the first try <laughs> today to record this podcast. Well, that's because I'm using Windows. But well, you uh, know, and two, okay, so 2006, I'm sitting. Should have used at, Ubuntu. <laughs> I know, right? That's what I used to use. In 2006, I was sitting on a, in a panel. Uh, I wasn't on the panel, but I was sitting in the room with the panel, and a lady from Linkshare, uh, I believe it was Oh Rakuten, uh, was speaking, and she was describing how in 2005 2006 how many people were buying couches using their mobile phones in japan and how many people were going into stores and using uh their mobile phones to do price comparison and and looking at an item on the shelf and saying well i don't really want that item because it's too expensive here or checking out with their phone you know in 2005 2006 and i thought that would never ever ever happen here in the united states you know we're never going to get to that point where i pick up my phone and i order a couch you know, but now, ten years later, that's certainly reality. Um, I, I mean, I think AI and or AR and and VR are definitely more uh, more uh, of a difficult challenge for adoption than you know using your phone for e-commerce or commerce. But it, it, as Jim says, if people see the utility in it from a few early influencers, then it. It will catch on in a certain aspect. And no, not everyone's on Facebook, but 2 billion people are. And that's a hell of a crowd. You know, so if you think that one-fourth of all humans alive or, you know, have a, a, a Facebook account, um, you know, it, it's not going to take too much in terms of early adoption for that to spread. If this stuff is, is as interesting and engaging and, and useful as, you know, the, the marketing out there and, and the buzz out there has it, you know, has led us to believe. Um, you know, if it's just playing games with with C three PO in your in your living room or, or, you know, being able to play Quake, you know, with your friends, kind of like what we were doing fifteen years ago, um, that's great. But that's not going to catch on. You know, so it, it's that usefulness factor that's going to take, um, you know, what what we've been doing with TVs and iPads and and mobile phones here over the last 10 years in, in terms of content consumption and even creation. And if it allows for that to, to go to a next level, I do think we'll see the adoption there. I'm a little bit wary about new stuff after I got burned on Google Glass. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, yeah, too soon. Go pick up a Google, uh, Google Cardboard. It's 15 bucks, or you can get it for free at a bunch of different places. But, it, you know, you, you install an app and Boom! You've got a little uh, VR player, and it's it's pretty interesting, you know. And it's it's not just a kind of a a tchotchke type thing that's going to you know be a fad and go away. Um, I really do think there's some staying power here, just because of the nature of the ephemeral experience that we're seeing with, especially you know, not, not to be ageist, but with young people, you know, Snapchat and and that idea of messaging and and not really leaving leaving uh, these digital. Uh, 
crumbs behind us, you know. Um, like, like Jim can go find that friend's picture from Affiliate Summit you know, <laughs> five, ten years ago, whenever that was, and, you know, post it up. But if we shared that on Snapchat, that would be gone. And for a, a growing number of people, that mindset is okay. Uh, so when I think about things like how we consume media, you know, we're, we're not going to have CDs and DVDs and, and even things like iTunes uh, uh, accounts in terms of keeping a collection of media. It's going to be on demand, basically. So yeah. the, the I, I think AR and VR kind of play into that mindset of just that ephemeral nature of, of interacting with content. Yeah. The one thing you mentioned with Snapchat, I found that to be totally frustrating trying to look at it from a marketing angle because I um, when we did a performance marketing summit in Chicago, I I did one of the the paid geo filters there for the the day we were doing it, right? And so um, and so it was cool, and I I used it a bunch of times, but unless somebody was my friend, I have no idea who used it. They they provide absolutely no analytics, no, no reporting <laughs> at all about how much usage you got. Yeah, that's that's something they definitely need to work on, and, and uh, their stats and analytics are, are abysmal at best. And there you know there's some third-party things you can do to try to get a little bit of insight but you know you, you talk about getting uh you know good feedback or, or or good results out of a campaign you know within with an affiliate link and i mean snapchat really is kind of the opposite of that but i do think there's a lot of potential there for for online marketers to yeah to if you're if you're a narcissist <laughs> no I, I I deleted Snapchat last week. I I have no hey, Jim killed something interest. Good. <laughs> Jim quit yeah, Snapchat. No, I'm sorry. Um, well, the, it's, it's lame. One thing it's that not, it's fun from a messaging point of view. Yeah, yes. if you're a narcissist. I enjoy sending a, like a 15 second video to somebody instead of picking up the phone or texting them sometimes. Or Sean's right. stories. I mean, you know, I, I follow your stories on Snapchat, and it's well, it's interesting. You know, it's really? it's see, I I would never thought to use it for that. I would I thought it was just used to like broadcast you just being goofy and putting fire in your face. You know, it's like okay, what do I, I need that? I mean, Sean like rarely posts selfies, especially in his stories. But you know, you get kind of a glimpse into a person's life. So Jim, you're talking about being authentic. You know, I could definitely see. You know, particularly younger voters. I know you said your demographics are older, but I could see younger voters really, you know, engaging with you, just like they're doing with the Hillary Clinton Snapchat. Yeah, especially uh, you'd be the one guy out of all of them that are actually doing it, so you'd be the one that they would even consider. Yeah, I, I just don't want to do it. I don't. It's, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, in my personality, I just, I just don't want to be like Snapchat guy. You know, it's just, it's just. It, Everything works different for different people, and I have no problem with other people who use it and are successful with it. It's just not me. It's not authentic to me, and maybe I'm just being a Luddite, but it just doesn't work for me. Well, no, then don't use it. That's right. Well, one thing, if you decide to unquit, one tip that a lot of the people of our age don't seem to understand is that if you're going to send a message to – if you're going to post it to your story, you shouldn't also post it to random people. Either you send a message to a person or you send it to to your stories mm-hmm. – but I've been seeing a lot of people that are peers that they post their story and they they shotgun it out to everybody on their list. Yeah, and yeah, that's a that's a faux pas. Uh, I was corrected Lisa, on that by my kids. Snapchat? Lisa, are you doing Snapchat? Did we lose Lisa? Her picture's still on the thing. No, I had oh, you guys on mute. I had you on mute. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just listening in because I don't use Snapchat, so I don't. 
I didn't really have anything to add to that. Well, maybe you I'll reinstall it and I'll follow Sean and maybe I'll be re-energized. To I think for me, I just, I have my periods of where I want to be on everything and I want to try everything and I try to consume everything. And then I feel overwhelmed by all of it. And I feel this need to keep up and I just, it, it's impossible for me to do it. So then I just kind of just go back to Facebook. That's it. <laughs> and see, I hate Facebook. So, you know, there we go. So this is hilarious, Sam, because all the things you're using, I hate and don't use. And Facebook is like the number one thing for me. God, I hate just, Facebook just so like, much. <laughs> just like 10 years ago. If, if I didn't have to have it for business, I really would. I mean, I quit it, you know, two, what, two or three times now, but I, I would have just let it be dead for me because I get no real benefit from it. And that's why I'm so interested about the groups because I'm a member of like my fraternity group and this group and the Columbia something. But I never go into those things, and I never – I mean, I'm sure I see them in my news feed, but you know, for me, it's a broadcast medium. It's not an interacting medium, whereas Snapchat for me, you know, I've got a group of, I don't know, 10 or 20 friends, and that's how we primarily communicate. Um, and Twitter for me is, is kind of my broadcast, but also interaction medium. I mean, I, I still really love Twitter. Um, but I, I look at things like well, yeah, Facebook Messenger even. I mean, I use Facebook Messenger 10 times more than I use <laughs> Facebook because it is interactive. Um, so I, I think that's interesting from a marketing point of view as we wrap up here, you know, just to just to think about, you know, going ahead, how our own personal, you know, biases. Sometimes you have to look around the corner and sometimes I have to say, OK, well, let me go into Facebook and play with groups and see what I can do with my online marketing campaigns uh, or see if there's any you know, uh, wiggle room in there to, to do something, you know, like, like what Jim is doing. And, uh, hopefully that's why people listen to podcasts like this <laughs> you know, to learn and to grow. Well, I'll tell you what, let's, this was a lot of fun and I'd like to do it again, but let's see what people say. And if people really want us to do it again, maybe we'll try to do it again. So thanks very much guys. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you. I think, um, we need to give a couple of times for traction. These little one-off very special episodes might be tough to keep an audience. Yeah, maybe we could do it on a specific topic every week or every month or something. Yeah, every week know? is a little bit ambitious. Yeah, month, month. Yeah. You, you guys aren't really going for the every year, once a year. <laughs> maybe every I'm semester. I'm just kidding. All right, yeah, let, let's think about that. If you'd like to hear more, you know, reach out, let us know. We don't, we don't want to speak into the abyss here. So engage and interact. Frankly, have synergy. made it this far. <laughs> <laughs> well, Probably like love it, so people. Much. All right. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Talking to you. Bye. Bye.